Amen. I've entitled this message this morning, Being Honest with God. Being Honest with God. We're looking at 1 John, the letter of John. And John has this way of placing things parallel to one another. Light and darkness. Truth and error. Love and hate goes throughout this first letter of John. And so as we look at it this morning, I want to really concentrate really on one verse. On one verse. So um, I started the heading with possessing, possessing the light. And this verse is really what I'm going to look at today. This verse here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When I was a young Christian, I had to learn this verse as one of the verses that you learn as you go on as a Christian. And it's amazing um, what some people remember. You know, there's men here who can remember the FA Cup finals from 1981 and who was playing. There's... um, Men here who can remember um, who Muhammad Ali boxed from Henry Cooper right down to Larry Holmes. There's women here who will remember when you forget your wedding anniversary. There's people here who remember so many different things. Quotes from lines, from films, like Scarlett O'Hara who said, I won't think about it today, I'll think about that tomorrow. Or Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz who said, There's no place like home. And we remember all these different quotes from all these different films. And yet we don't remember quotes from the Bible very easily. So I'm going to challenge you today. We're going to learn this verse today, this morning. We're going to learn this verse today. So we're going to repeat it after me, right? So um, let's say it together. You can read it first. Here it is. Let's read it together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now there's four parts there. If we confess our sins is one. Second, he is faithful and just is two. Third, will forgive us our sin is three. And fourth, purify us from all unrighteousness. They can break that down in your mind. Let's do it one more time. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You got it in your mind, right? Okay. Let's try it again, shall we? It's gone. Those of you know, you got to say it a bit louder. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from Okay, now you're not going to have me to help you. You've got to say it yourselves. Okay, here we go. If Oh, wow, there you go. You feel struggling there, but you got hold of it fantastically. So here's that verse. That's the verse I'm going to be preaching on today. It's a great verse. And um, as we look at it this morning, the Bible, um, before we go into this verse, we need to understand and set the context of where this verse comes in. 
It comes in um, just a few verses in, uh, after verse 5, where it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Last week, those of you who were here would have heard how John dealt brilliantly with that verse, that line, God is light. He didn't say, and John pointed this out, he didn't say God is love. He made it very clear that this is the message that we have heard. And we now proclaim to you, God is light. In other words, there is no sin in God at all. There is no evil in God at all. There is no darkness in God at all. In fact, the Old Testament brings that up in Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk says this, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. That is how God's eyes are. It's so pure, the Bible says, that you cannot even look on evil. That is why when Jesus Christ died on the cross, there was three hours of darkness. And in that darkness, Jesus cried out, didn't he? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he cried that out, there was no response from heaven. Heaven was silent. There was no answer coming back to Jesus Christ when he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Heaven was silent. Why? Because God had turned away from Jesus. He was separated from God the Father. There was no response because Jesus was carrying the sin of the world. Jesus was carrying your sin and mine on that cross. That's why there was no response from God. He's turned away. And the Bible says in 1 John that um, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This is theology. What you're hearing this morning is theology. The study of who God is. That's what theology is. And you learned this morning... That there's no evil, no sin in God whatsoever. He's absolutely, totally pure. So pure that even when his son was dying and carrying the sin of the world on the cross, even God had to turn away and not look at him. You know, if I say to you, do you hate certain things? Do you hate images? indecent images of children that is circling our internet, you will say, of course you do. Do you hate people being trafficked trafficked around the world? Do you hate rape? Racism? You will say, yeah, of course, I hate all these things. And God hates them too. But the Bible says other things that God hates. Look what the Bible says. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Notice in there there's no rape mentioned here and there's no, um, you know, no indecent images mentioned here, but these things are detestable to God. Haughty or proud eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. 
and he stops there because I didn't get verse 17 on there, but another few things there as well, that actually God hates. And he hates them. And you may see yourself somehow, maybe, you know, in your life, there's things that God hates. And we need to declare that and realize that, that God hates certain things. I remember a funny um, incident happened in a Sunday school. A, you know, a child puts their hand up in a Sunday school class and um, he said to the children, um, I, he said to the, um, the Sunday school teacher, excuse me, miss, he said, I, I really um, do not have a problem with pride, she said. I'm a very humble person. Honestly, I am. And, and right there, that young child was really exposing in her own heart that actually she has got pride issues and she's not very humble. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth, do not live by the truth. If we claim to have fellowship with God, and yet we walk in darkness. Now, what John was probably thinking about a lot more closely is what he's thinking about someone like Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot walked with Jesus for three years, had fellowship with Jesus, was able to sit down and eat with him and saw his miraculous teaching and, and heard him preaching and, and, and was around him for three years. And yet, but all along, Judas was walking and living in darkness. He wore a cloak of respectability. He wore a cloak of Christianity. And yet, all along, in his heart, he was walking in darkness. That is what I believe um, John, as he was writing this, was thinking about. You know, we have this issue where people come to church and yet their lives are entrenched in wickedness and in sin. Now, it doesn't happen so much here at Goldings. I mean, I know many of you here, and, I, and, and, and you know, we don't seem to have so much of a problem with people having a cloak of religion around them. But I know that some people come to this church in the past, and when they hear a sermon on sin, when they hear a sermon calling them to, to turn and change their ways, they say, you know what, I don't want to come to this church. You know, the church down the road that got lights and smoke screens and, and man, you know, it makes me feel good. It's a buzz in that church. But coming to Goldings and a few of people who I know have said, you know, I cannot come to your church because the preaching sometimes, you know, it makes me feel uncomfortable. And so we have John saying this. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we want to walk in the darkness, we want to live like this, but we want to also have a cloak of religiousity, of piousness and of, 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 of Christianity. We want that cloak, but we want to live like that. John turns around and says that we lie and we do not live by the truth. Okay, some of you, um, as you know, Jesus, you know, the message here was, you know, um, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. I've said this story before some time ago, but I'll say it again. The story um, about um, a family 
in 18, just before, after 1879. You see, 1879 was the year where Thomas Edison created or invented the electric light bulb in 1879. Prior to that, they were using candles in homes. Well, this particular family had a, um, a wealthy family. They had Edison's invention installed in their home. They had, it was one of the first families to have electric light in their home. And so they installed this electric system in their, in their, in, in their house and they invited their neighbours, they invited their friends um, to their home for the great turning on of these lights. So when the dust came down, it was a bit dark, um, they got the family all in the room and they said, right, blow out all the candles. So they blew out all the candles and the lady and the lord of the house stood by the light switch for the great turning on. And they turned on the lights. And everybody was amazed. They looked at the lights. It was so bright. It, it, it was so wonderful. The whole house was lit up by these great lights. And everybody looked at the light and suddenly they started seeing all the dirt in the house. The candles made dirty marks on the ceilings. The wallpaper was all black with the candle wax and the dirt there. And there was dust in the corner of the, the house and, and the house was filthy. And the faces of the lady and the lord of the house changed colour. They weren't black people, by the way. Changed colour. Embarrassed. And then they... People left the house, and the people who left had two things on their mind. One people, one family who left said, you know, I'm going to go to my house, they said, and I'm going to clean my house from top to bottom. If that's what candle does to the home, I'm going to go in there and clean my house. Others went out and said, I'm never going to have Edison balls in my house. No way, I'm going to stick to candles. If that's what exposed. And they went out with those things in mind. Now, it is to those who say, like the first people, I'm going to go to my house and I'm going to clean it all out. It's to those that I really want to address 1 John 1, 9, 2. Those who go to their homes and say, I am not happy with the condition that my life is in. I'm not happy with the condition. The light has come in. The light of the world has come into my life. I'm not happy with what is exposed. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to do something about it. 1 John 1, 9 is for you. That verse is for you. And so I'm going to look at that and see what it says. So listen to what it goes on. Let's say about the confessing part. Again, here's the verse. If we confess our sins in your mind he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess now we have been thrown a curveball by films and, and, and the movies because when you watch a movie it's normally a Catholic church that you might see and you see someone go into the Catholic church and where do they go? They go into a confessional box and they sit by a priest and they say to the priest Father forgive me for I have sinned and we think that is confession that is not confession 
If you want to find out what true biblical confession is, you need to look at the Bible to find that out. Not in Hollywood, but in the Bible to find out what confession really is. And so we go into the Bible because Jesus speaks about two men going to pray in Luke 18. One man was very proud, the other one wasn't. And look what the one who wasn't proud, look how he prayed. Luke 18 verse 13 says this, But the tax collector, the sinner, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Here's a man who knew what it was to have spiritual failure in his life. Here was a man who knew what it was to have actual sin in his life. Here was a man who knew that he was so unchristlike, so lukewarm, so poor spiritually, that he comes to the church. Couldn't even come to the front, the Bible says. Couldn't even come near the altar, but he stood at a far distance, the Bible says. And he recognized that his heart was sinful. His, the, 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 the thought of his mind was unclean. And so he bowed his head and he said to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? Where did he start his confession? I'll tell you where. He started his confession when he was in the pigsty. He started his confession when he was in the filth, in the mud, feeding pigs. It was there when it started. And he thought to himself, what am I doing here? I will rise up and I will go back to my father. And I will say to my father, father, I have sinned against God and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Make me like your high servant. He had that confession where? When he was in the dirt. That's when his confession started from. You know, I believe with all my heart that the church worldwide knows very little about that kind of confession. We have gone so far away from how to confess before God that we know very little the church is too busy trying to entertain people, trying to make people come back, put bums on seats, money in the offering, so much um, um, commercialism in the church today that we've gone away from getting men and women to understand what real and true confession is. Too many churches want to give the good feeling. I've, I've heard people say that uh, things like, I'm not high on drugs, I'm high on Jesus. That's the thing that they want to throw out there, being high on Jesus. But if you're high on Jesus, you're not going to be the man like the prodigal son who confesses his sin. You're not going to be like a tax collector who couldn't come into church because sin was so weighed down upon him that he cries out, oh God, have mercy on me. That is confession. Do you confess like that? I know that I'm challenged when I think about my confession. It's no longer, in our day and age, it's no longer 
he must increase and I must decrease. Oh no, we've gone away from that. It is more like I must increase and he must decrease. I must become more and he must become less. This is the church of the 21st century. Is it no surprise that the church hasn't any power anymore? Is it any surprise that the church doesn't have any authority anymore? With a bunch of Christians who constantly are saying, I must increase, I must get bigger, it's my kingdom, and he must get smaller. Is it any surprise that our churches in England are getting smaller and smaller, weaker and weaker? Now I have to draw your attention just to one small word in that verse before I go to my second point. The one small word, the first word of that verse. Anyone remember what the first word of that verse was? I'm sure you do. If. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's that small word, if. That little word, if means that not everybody is going to do this. Not everybody is going to confess like that. Not everybody. The dividing line. Some people will go to home from from church and say, the light has come on in my life and I realize there are things in my life that I need to confess to God and I'm going to confess with all my heart and say, oh God, forgive me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. There will be some here who will go home saying that prayer. Have mercy on me. But there'll be others who will go away without no change of their prayer life. And the Bible says, if we confess. What a massive, that small tiny word divides a church. Some confessing. Some ignoring. Some calling out to God for mercy. Some not even care. That small word, if, divides a church. If you confess your sins. Be aware of your lukewarmness. Be aware of your spiritual poverty. Be aware of your spiritual failure. Coming to God and saying, God, I don't want a cloak of religion. I want to walk around saying I'm in a light, but really I love the darkness. Lord, I don't want that. Having a desire to turn around and say, oh God, I want to be honest with you. Okay, let's just wrap this message up. My third and final point. I spoke of possessing the light. It's confessing your sins. And finally, forgiving. That verse again, here it is. What should we say again together? If we confess our sins, he is Praise God. Okay. Now the focus shifts away from you and it turns to God. If we confess, he is faithful and just. The word here, he's faithful, is that he always keeps his word. He will never blow hot or cold. He's faithful. 
there's a story that I heard over in, um, in Brazil of a homeless man who had a dog. And, and this homeless man had an um, epileptic seizure. And the ambulance was called and the ambulance took the man, put him in the back of the ambulance and was driving him at speed to the hospital. But the ambulance driver looked out the window and they saw that this man's dog was chasing the ambulance. It was running hard after the ambulance through all the traffic and everything. And the ambulance crew said, you know, if we don't let that dog in, it's going to die getting into this ambulance. So they pulled the ambulance over took the dog on into the ambulance, drove into the hospital, and the dog didn't leave that man's side throughout the whole time he was in hospital. Now that sort of story, you know, warms your heart. You know, if you're a dog lover, you know, it warms your heart about the faithfulness of a dog. But the Bible says God is even more faithful than that. God will never, he's saying, I will never leave your side. If you confess with your heart really humble before me, I will never leave your side. There's another story of a, of a man, a father and a son working in a garage. And um, the son was underneath the car, um, working underneath a vehicle. And the, 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 the props that was holding up the car, the jack, that was holding up the car, collapsed. And the car fell on the boy's chest. And the father, seeing it, went over to his son, and he, with all his might, put his hands underneath the car and lifted a vehicle off the ground in order for others to come and pull his son out from under the car. The father was so faithful in his love for that son that he wanted to lift the weight of that car off of his son so his son could be set free. That is what God means when he says he is faithful. He's so faithful, he wants to lift the weight of sin off of your shoulders. The weight of sin that's able to crush you. The weight of sin that's able to destroy your life. The weight of sin that's able to destroy every relationship you have. That sin, God is faithful. And when you come to him confessing and saying, oh God have mercy on me a sinner. You will meet a God who will lift every sin off of you. In fact, I love what the Bible says. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you. He won't send angels to do it. He won't send prophets to do it. He won't send preachers to do it. No, no, no. He will lift you up. Well, Peter says the same thing in his writing. Humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. That is how God is. He is faithful. Never mind a man helping his son out. Never mind a dog staying near its owner. This God is faithful. Do you know him this morning? Why stay away from him? Why say, oh, I'd rather be a pretend Christian. I'd rather be a Christian who just comes and, and pretend to confess, but really I'm walking in the darkness. I'd rather have that. Why have that life when you have God 
here who turned around and said, I will lift every weight of sin off of your shoulders. Why turn away from him and live a life of a lie? He is faithful and just. But also, I mentioned faithful. I haven't really mentioned the just bit. He's faithful and just. God demands justice. He cannot forgive you. Listen to me. He cannot forgive you unless payment has been made for you in full. He cannot do it. He is just. So when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. That cry from the cross is saying to God, I have done what you've asked me to do. I have accomplished the work you have sent me to do. I have paid the price. Your justice has been fully met in me. Therefore, when we say that he is faithful and just, it means that you have nothing to answer for. Hallelujah. You have nothing to turn around and say, oh, I've got one more sin that I haven't got forgiven yet. No, God has said, my justice has been satisfied because Jesus has paid the price in full. Hallelujah. Now this promise is total forgiveness, not partial forgiveness. This promise, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive and purify from all unrighteousness. That forgiveness is total. Complete forgiveness, complete cleansing. You know, I've been told that um, some criminals think they are very clever when they commit a murder. And they, they kill somebody in a house and then they go in there and they clean all the blood from everywhere. Um, there's one case where a man had professional cleaners come into the house to clean every area of the house so it was spotless. But the police has such resources now that they can detect blood in any room. Even though that place might be thoroughly clean, the police have resources. They can go into a room, into a house, and detect whether there was blood in that room. They even have dogs that can go into a room and tell the police whether a dead body was actually in that room. So if you think about killing anybody, don't do it. Okay, you're going to get caught. Right? The fact is, every tr- you, you can never get rid of the trace of blood. But here, what the Bible is saying here is that God himself removes every stain of sin. No amount of investigation no amount of, of clever technology can find an ounce of sin in your life once God himself has forgiven you. He forgives and he purifies. So much so that the, um, the writer in the Old Testament rejoices in the Psalms. He says this, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Listen to this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So far. He doesn't deal with us or treat us what we deserve, our sins deserve. No, no, no. It's not like a cover-up and that you can go back later on in a few years' time and find the sin. No, once God forgives you, once he cleanses you, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your sin from you. Praise God. Why not come to him? And be honest with him. Right from the get-go. Why hide? Why put on a cloak of respectability, walking around as if somehow you are, you know, you know you're, you're fooling God? Why? Why not get rid of that cloak and come to him like the criminal, like the, like the tax collector? Come to him just as you are and say, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Confess to him as confession should be like in the Bible. And once you do that, you will be met with a God who is faithful, a God who is just, and a God who will go to work in your life. And cleanse you and forgive you from all sin. There's a little bit more as well. Not only will he cleanse you and purify you. But it's not in our verse. But he will begin to fill you with his Holy Spirit. That you will have a desire. Not for the old life. No, no, no. That desire for the old life. Will just feel his cleansing power. You know, I, 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 I don't, I'm not a big fan on trainers or shoes. And, but some people like cleaning their white trainers. You know, they, they get the, the cloth and they wipe all the mud off their nice white trainers. And once it's all nice and clean, they don't want to even walk in longer in muddy places. I've got my nice shoes on. Once God cleans you up, once he forgives you, you don't want to go back to muddy places. No, 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 no. Your life is changed. It's renewed. Why? Because of 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful. He is just. And he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you, purify you, wash you so clean of all unrighteousness that when you stand before him on the judgment day, He would not see a sinner, but he will see his son. He won't see a sinner, he will see his daughter. He will not see a sinner, he will see a saint washed in the blood of Christ. That's you, that's me. What a wonderful message we have, what a gospel. And John opens it up. That light has come. This is the message we have heard. Is light. Come into his presence and allow him to deal with whatever he finds there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word. Oh God, we need him. We need your word so desperately. For Lord, we've been walking in the dark shades too long. 
we've been covering up our sins too long. We've been saying that it's okay to, to hide here and to hide there, but now, Lord, we want to come into the light and be exposed to your radiance and say, oh God, have mercy on me. For your promise is sure that you will cleanse, you will forgive, you will wash because of what Jesus Christ has done. Oh God, will you please pour your spirit upon this church, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.